Now, Lombardi, he was, the, he was a famous for being a tough, hard-nosed coach, right? Among other things he said was, winners never quit and quitters never win. We, we've all heard that. But on his deathbed, Lombardi told his priest, I'm not afraid to die, but I regret that I didn't, didn't accomplish more in this life. He wanted another Super Bowl victory, I guess. Lombardi expresses the sentiments of many. At the end of life, they look back and, and, and they wish things could have been different. They wish they could have done more or done better. Surprisingly, artist and inventor, mathematician, musician, Leonardo da Vinci was much like Lombardi. His last words were, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. I guess the Mona Lisa wasn't good enough. Others look back on their lives with pain and even hatred. Actor and comedian W.C. Fields' last words, which I had to edit, were, gosh darn, the whole friggin' world and everyone in it, but you, Carlotta. Carlotta was his longtime mistress. Fields apparently died a, a, a bitter man. Others die thinking of family and friends. Just prior to his death, John Wayne turned to his wife and said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. Baseball great Joe DiMaggio died in 1999 thinking of his ex-wife, Marilyn Monroe. Monroe had died in 1962. They had only been married nine months, but DiMaggio's last words were, I finally get to see Marilyn. Approaching death can cause some people to turn to God. Anne Boleyn, the second wife of King Henry VIII, who didn't lead the most righteous of lives, prior to her being executed by her husband, said, Oh God, have pity on my soul. Oh God, have pity on my soul. For others, approaching death causes them to turn away from God. Actress Joan Crawford yelled at her housekeeper who was praying as Crawford died. Crawford said, and again, I have to edit, Darn it, don't you dare ask God to help me. And finally, here are the last words of a few people who died with a confident assurance of their Lord. Reformer Martin Luther said, Our God is the God from whom cometh salvation. God is the Lord by whom we escape death. U.S. US founding father Alexander Hamilton, he's on the $10 bill, if you don't know, said, I have a tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a sinner. I look to him for mercy. And evangelist John Wesley said, the best of all is God is with us. Farewell, farewell. A person's last words as as death approaches can reveal much about them, who they are, and really what they're trusting in. And this is certainly the case of the church's first martyr, Stephen. Over the past several weeks, we've been examining the life of Stephen, really the last day even of Stephen's life. We're told a number of things about him, but really all we have is this final day of his life. And today, we're going to conclude that in Acts chapter 7, if you want to turn there, verses 54 to 60, we'll look at, at Stephen's death, and we'll look at Stephen's last words. What do we learn from those? But before we look at Stephen's death, we need to think about death in general. We need to prepare us for Stephen's martyrdom. I know that's what you guys were all hoping for this morning, a little talk on death. 
death is, a, is, is not always a, a fun thing to talk about, but I think Chad in, in our worship time has even prepared us as we go in. When, when I was preparing this message, it reminded me of preparing uh, for a funeral service for a believer. Because when a, a Christian, a true believer, someone who's trusted in Jesus Christ like Stephen dies, one of the greatest things that brings comfort to those that are left behind is that de- death is a defeated enemy. Death is a defeated enemy. I think we understand that death is an enemy. When it comes, it brings pain, it brings sorrow, it brings loss. It brings this sense of, this, this shouldn't happen, this is terrible. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, For he, Christ, must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is the last enemy. We say that only two things are, are for certain in this life. Death and taxes, and we know that's coming around. But death and probably taxes were not part of God's original plan. God did not create us to die. Death is a curse. It's an enemy that came into this world through sin. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Through the sin of one man. Adam, the enemy, death, came into the world. But in Christ Jesus, death has been defeated. Death has been reversed, turned on its heels. Death has been put under his feet. Again, Paul writes to the Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the perfect, righteous one, willingly submitted to death on the cross. He went willingly. He gave his life as an atonement, a payment, a substitute for our sins. And the old enemy, that last enemy, death, couldn't hold him back. He died on the cross, but in that he defeated death and he rose from the grave. And in the resurrection, Jesus proves his victory over both sin and death. And that victory is passed on to all who trust in him. In Christ Jesus, we can be, we are victorious over death. We too will be resurrected. We will live again. For those who give their life to Jesus Christ, who who have faith in Him, or put their trust in Him, who trust in that substitutionary, sacrificial death and that victorious resurrection. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death has no sting. The stinger's been removed. Death is not an end, but it's a, a passageway, a door into eternal life, eternal relationship with God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, in Christ, because of Christ, we can have victory over death. Amen? The question is, do we believe that? And do we live like that? Do we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ? Do we trust in the Word of God as we face this inevitable earthly reality of death? It's my prayer that today, as we, as we look at the death of, of the church's first martyr, of, of Stephen, as we look at how Stephen faced death, 
but more importantly, how God met him and sustained him and ushered him into eternity. It's my prayer that, that we'll not only be helped as we think about this terrible enemy called death, this defeated enemy, but that we'll be inspired, motivated to live a life for Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death for us. That we'll be motivated to love the one who gave his life that we might truly live. Live today and live for all eternity. I pray that our last words, like, like Stephen's, might reflect our trust in Jesus Christ. So today we come to the, the third and final message focusing on Stephen. Let's review, review what we know about, about his life. We're, we've already seen that he was a, a man of God, a man of good repute. He was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of grace and power and wisdom. And he was also a witness for Jesus Christ. In power, he witnessed. He, he preached the gospel. He performed signs and wonders, Luke writes. And because of that, he's opposed. He's faced with opposition by the Jewish religious leaders. They arrest him. And he is charged falsely with blasphemy. Blasphemy against Moses, the law, the temple. Blasphemy against God. And last week we saw that how Stephen defended himself. He defended himself by giving this, this summary, this highlight summary of Israel's history. He shows how Israel failed to follow God again and again and again, over and over. They failed. They resisted and rebelled against God. They resisted and rebelled against God's leaders. But in spite of this, Stephen also points out God's faithfulness. In the midst of man's failure, God is faithful. And the point of Stephen's history lesson, if you remember, was that the religious leaders of the day were the same as their fathers. They'd learned nothing from history. He concludes, speaking to them, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Stephen then accused them of breaking the law by betraying and murdering the righteous one, Jesus Christ. And today, we see their response to Stephen's defense and accusations. A response that's going to culminate in Stephen's being put to death. In Acts chapter 7, verse 54, we pick it up. Now when they heard these things, Stephen's defense, Stephen calling them stiff-necked and uncircumcised and resistant to the Holy Spirit, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. I can't do that. In response to his, Stephen's history lesson and his accusation, the Jewish religious leaders were enraged. And you know what that means? It means they were really, really mad. They were so angry they ground or, or gnashed their teeth at him. Have you ever been that angry? I played uh, high school football for Arlington High School. And in the day, back in the early 80s, our main rival was Poly High School. And uh, I worked also at the Van Buren Drive-In. And one of the Poly football players worked at the Van Buren Drive-In. 
And this guy was a brat. He was, he was. That's all I can say. He was, he was a young kid. He was privileged family. I can't. And, and when the game approached, when Arlington, now he was a guy that sat on the bench. I actually played. I'm, I'm just saying. But that's all he talked about is how Polly was going to kill Arlington. How we were, and it was, I, I, all I could do to not just hit him there. Now I'm in high school then, so I've changed much. Okay, just so you know, I, I'm not going to confess any of my recent anger, just my long ago anger. But so, so we played the game, and uh, we were going to lose. It was, uh, it was, you know, the victory formation where all they had to do was snap the ball and take a knee. And uh, my friend, quote-unquote, he hadn't been in the game much, but it was victory formation. He got to come in. And so he's there on the field, and I'm across from him, and he's just looking at me as they're going to go. And they say, and I'm just mm, mad. And so the ball is hiked, and usually, you know, victory formation, you, okay, we're done. We, we give in. I just ran as hard as I could and just smashed into him. I was really mad. And that didn't really help because we still lost and that was it. <laughs> but these guys were even madder than I was. Their course is set. Nothing will stop them now. They're going to kill Stephen no matter what. But first, but first, God has a gift for Stephen. And Luke lets us see that gift. He pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse into what God, in the midst of this horrific scene, does for Stephen. As Stephen gazes at God. Stephen is facing death. He's facing men who are seething with anger. They want his blood. But in that moment, in Stephen's time of of greatest need, in what for many would have been a time of overwhelming fear, These guys with all this power, these guys that had sent Jesus to be crucified are really mad at me. In that time, in that moment, God reveals Himself in an amazing way. In this dark moment, the the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all there with Stephen. Acts 7, 55 and 56 says, But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In Stephen's darkest hour, the Trinity shows up. Stephen is is full of God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is, is upon him and in him and dwelling with him. The Helper the Spirit is called. He's helping Stephen. The Comforter is comforting Stephen. The Spirit is there to walk and comfort and strengthen Stephen in this final terrible moment. What a gift the Spirit of God is to those who stand on the precipice of eternity. But that's not all. That's not the only gift Stephen received. As Stephen's eyes move heavenward, Heaven opens before him. He sees heaven. Stephen is one of the few that Scripture says saw into heaven. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Paul, and John are the only others. And what does Stephen see? First, he sees the glory of God. 
don't know for sure exactly what that means. Not God fully, but just the, the remnant of God. Maybe he couldn't see all of God. Not fully, but, he, but, but, but what he sees is, is the glory of God. Like Moses. Remember Moses who had to hide in the, in the rock is the tail end, the backside of God's glory passed by and it caused Moses' face to shine. What does God's glory look like? Stephen doesn't say. But we do have a, a little picture, a, a human words picture by these other guys who saw heaven open. Not from Paul, he didn't leave us a description, but Isaiah says he saw God seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and his robe filled the temple. Ezekiel saw God like a, a sapphire and a, and a human and a, a gleaming metal and fire and brightness and a rainbow. John says he saw him seated on a throne and the appearance was of precious gems and the colors of a rainbow. These are great pictures, but really, we have to understand they're limited. They're limited by human language. They're limited by describing things from our world. The glory of God is truly indescribable. Think for a moment of the greatest, most beautiful, most amazing thing you've ever seen. I think of my wife, Christina. Ah, that's good. Points. Maybe it's, the, maybe it's the Grand Canyon. Have you ever been on a tour of the Grand Canyon with Marshall? It's awesome. Takes you out there and he shows you the canyon. It, it is amazing. Or maybe it's Niagara Falls or other, other great waterfalls. They're, they're awesome. Maybe it's the, the star-filled night sky. Maybe it's a sunset on the beach. I don't know. I saw some pictures last night. My, my wife's uh, uncle is here. And uh, her uncle and... and her parents went to New England this past, recently, at the, what's that, fall, fall season, and the, the pictures are beautiful of the, the colored leaves. It's amazing. But think about whatever it is, whatever you think of as beautiful, as glorious in this world, it pales in comparison to God's glory. The things of earth are only a, a dim reflection of the glory of the, their Creator, and Stephen gets to gaze at this glory. And it's this glory that he will enter into upon death. That has to be comforting. God says, Stephen, fear not, for this is what's waiting for you. My glory. That's what Stephen sees. But that's not all. Get this. There, standing at God's right hand, is Jesus Christ. Stephen's glorious Savior. The one who conquered death is standing to welcome Stephen into glory. Every other place in the New Testament that mentions Jesus at the right hand of God the Father says he's seated. Only here does he stand. As Stephen gazes into heaven, he sees Jesus Christ stand to usher him into eternity, to welcome the church's first martyr into God's eternal kingdom. Stephen, Stephen refers to him as the Son of Man. This is a reference to uh, a, a place in Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. We're not going to look at that. Let me just explain it. Where Daniel writes of a ruler, of an everlasting kingdom, a ruler with both divine and human characteristics. He's writing of Jesus, Daniel is. This is certainly a deliberate choice on Stephen's part to call Jesus the Son of Man. He was reminding those who were accusing him of another, uh, a recent trial that they had been involved in. 
the trial of Jesus. Like Stephen, Jesus was accused of blasphemy. But if you remember, Jesus would not answer the charges against him. There's very, a lot of similarities between Jesus' death and Stephen's, but one of the differences is Stephen gives this long, drawn-out defense. Jesus gave no defense. He was silent. And in frustration, the high priest said to Jesus, I adjure you, this is Matthew chapter 26, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus finally responds. He says, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated, seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And for those words, for that blasphemy of claiming to be the Son of God, of claiming to be this Son of Man from from Daniel, they executed Jesus. Stephen recalls those words. Stephen's vision and words describing who we saw throws Jesus' claim right back at them. Jesus said he would be at the right hand of God. Stephen now testifies, Jesus is at the right hand of God. As Stephen is filled with the Spirit of God, and as he gazes at God the Father, at Jesus Christ, God is preparing him for what's to come. He's preparing him for this physical death. God fills him with the Spirit and gives him a glimpse of what lies beyond this world. He shows him the kingdom that's awaiting him. Now, Stephen was the church's first martyr. The first one to die for their faith, for for proclaiming the gospel. And 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 his death is is a big deal. In many ways, maybe even unique. But in many ways, it's not unique. If God is your Father, you can expect that He will, like Stephen, prepare you to face eternity. David wrote in Psalm 23.4, words that we're, many of us are familiar with, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These aren't just words that David wrote. These are the truth. God, in a special way, draws near to the dying believer. We often think, could I, like Stephen and others, endure suffering and persecution for Christ? Or or even, am I willing to trust Him as I lie on my deathbed, just dying in an ordinary way? And the answer for each one of us is no. We can't. Not by ourselves. But we, like Stephen, are not left alone. I don't mean that every believer at the time of their death will see a a vision of heaven open. I don't think everyone's given that same glorious vision that God gives to Stephen. But I do mean we will not be left alone. That God will be with us. I mean that if we trust in Him and submit to Him in this life, then we too can and will be filled with His Spirit, that comforter, that counselor, that helper. And His Spirit can comfort us and give us peace as we face eternity, as we face death. Throughout church history, there are many accounts of how those who've gone before us faced approaching death. Great inspirational stories of martyrs who faced death with courage and confidence, even those being taken into the Colosseum that would be devoured by lions. 
And there are other stories of believers who even facing what we would think of as ordinary death were given special grace. On Thursday, December 21st, 1888, after a cutting a short a Kansas City crusade and returning home in bad health, D.L. Moody told his family, I'm not discouraged. I want to live as long as I am useful, but when my work is done, I want to be up and off. The next day, Moody awakened after a restless night. In careful, measured words, he said, Earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. His son, Will, concluded his father was dreaming. Moody replied with his last words, No, this is no dream, Will. It is beautiful. It's like a trance. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me, and I must go. Our Heavenly Father, in some way, allows His children to gaze at His glory as death approaches. Stephen has gazed upon God, and this has prepared him to be stoned by men. Stephen has described what he saw as heaven open. God's glory and the the Son of Man, Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. And in response to this, and in great contrast to this, to Stephen's glorious vision, we read in verse 57, but they, these Jewish religious leaders, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Stephen was gazing into heaven, but all his accusers could see was, was red. It was anger. They were so angry. They were crying out. They were yelling at Stephen. They were unwilling to hear a word he said. I don't know if they literally or, or what, but they stopped up their ears. They plugged up their ears. And finally they rushed at him. They grabbed him and they took him outside the city you couldn't be stoned inside the city. That was the law. They wanted to follow at least that part of the law. Very fast, very quick. No trial, no Roman involvement, just an old-fashioned Jewish stoning. John Stott writes, Since the Romans had taken away the Jews' right of capital punishment, you remember that, that's why they couldn't crucify Jesus, they couldn't kill Jesus, it seems that Stephen's stoning was more a mob lynching than an official execution. Their action was illegal, brutal, immoral, but they didn't care. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Theologian Frederick Buckner writes, Stoning somebody to death is not easy. You do not get the job done with the first few rocks and broken bottles, and even after you get the man down, it's a long, hot business to prepare themselves... To prepare themselves for the workout, they stripped to the waist and got somebody to keep an eye on their things till they were through. The law prescribed, and so I think they were trying to follow the law even in this illegal act. The law prescribed that the, the witnesses, those who testified against the accused, be the first to throw stones. So the witnesses needed someone to keep an eye on their things. They took off their outer garments. And Luke notes who that someone was. And the witness has laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. A young man named Saul. You heard of him? This is the first time Saul, who would become Paul, the Apostle Paul, 
is mentioned in the book of Acts. What's that? That's him. The Apostle Paul. Anybody else? All right. He's introduced here. He's introduced here in preparation for what's to come. Saul, Paul will shortly be the focus of the book of Acts. He's going to be the main character. But for now, Luke wants us to know that from the beginning, Saul was involved in the persecution of the church. Whether he threw a stone or not is unknown, but Luke states explicitly in uh, Acts 8.1, and Saul approved of his execution, Stephen's execution. So Saul is there at the, with the angry mob approving of Stephen's execution. And Saul is also there to hear and, I believe, benefit from Stephen's amazing last words. Stephen prays like Jesus. That's our final point for today. Verse 59, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. As Stephen is ushered into eternity, his last words are are two prayers. His last words are directed to God. Prayers that reflect the prayers that Jesus prayed from the cross. From the cross, Jesus prayed for those who had crucified him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Jesus' final words from the cross were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And Stephen, as he's being stoned, his rocks are pummeling his body, having been transformed by the power of the Spirit, prays like Jesus. First, he calls out to his Savior, Lord, receive my spirit. Jesus is standing there, waiting to usher him into eternity to welcome his servant home. And Stephen wants nothing more than to enter into his presence. Jesus is his Lord, his Master. Jesus had given his life for Stephen, and Stephen had given his life to Jesus. Stephen knows he's just moments away from being with Jesus in all of eternity, for all of eternity. Death, where is your victory? I can't help but think of the the great hymn by Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He writes, let goods and kindred go, let good stuff and kindred, people, family and friends, even those closest to you, let it go, this mortal life also, let it go. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Stephen understood, and so must we, that this world, the things of this world, the goods and the kindred of this world are only temporary. This is not our home. It's only a pale reflection of the glory that lies beyond. And death is that doorway to glory. Death leads us to the kingdom of God. Therefore, death for the believer must not be a fearful thing. It should be a glorious transition into the presence of our loving Savior. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, Stephen prays, and falling to his knees. Those who are stoning Stephen are getting the, the job done. As each rock crashes into his head and his body, more damage is done. He can stand no longer. And what comes next, from his knees, 
possibly the most amazing part of Stephen's life, his last words. Not words of hate, not words of revenge, not even a a taunt. I could see myself saying, just just wait and see what happens when you die. You won't enter into the presence of God. Heaven's not going to open up for you. You're going to the pit of hell, you rock-throwing sons of... Right? Right. But Stephen had been transformed. He'd been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And his final words reflect a heart that knows the love and the grace and the mercy that he's received. He knows how much has been given for him. A heart that desires for those who are killing him, those that are throwing rocks at him, to receive that same love, grace, and mercy. Wow. He cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Don't count it, Lord. They're throwing rocks at me. Don't count it, Lord. I can forgive them, Lord, and I know you can. Stephen has become just like Jesus. We expect it from Jesus, but Stephen's just a man. But he's a man transformed by the power of God. The Apostle John writes these profound words. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. John says, in eternity, in heaven, after death, we don't know what that's going to be like. You know, we talk about what's this resurrected body going to We don't know. We don't know what we're going to be like. But we do know, we do know that we'll be like Him. We will be like Jesus because we shall see Him as He is. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know everything that that means, but I know it sounds awesome. Heaven's been opened to see Stephen. He's looked into the face of his Lord Jesus, his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he's like Him. The cross for Jesus, the cross, death, had not had totally failed to destroy that love and that grace and that that mercy that Jesus had for all people. No bitterness or hatred. Father, forgive them, for they know what they do. No bitterness, hatred had entered into the soul of our Savior. He offered forgiveness to those who crucified Him. And now, because Stephen was filled with that Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, because he was like Jesus, death by stoning fails to destroy the love and the grace and the mercy that Jesus has implanted into Stephen's heart. He prayed for the forgiveness of those who participated in stoning him to death. And don't forget, included in that prayer was this man named Saul, a man who would receive forgiveness. Coming up, chapter 9, book of Acts. He'll receive forgiveness and he'll become the church's first great missionary. Coming up, chapter 13, the book of Acts. Saul was a man man who, like Stephen, Saul would one day give his life. Saul would be martyred also. He's standing there and he receives the benefit of Stephen's prayers Luke goes on to describe Stephen's actual death with these words. And when he had said this, don't hold the sin against them, after he had said that, he fell asleep. 
To fall asleep was a, a Christian expression for death. It reflected the fact that death does not have the final word. It's not the end. That the believer will wake in the presence of God. So Stephen falls asleep and he's ushered into eternity. He's with the Father. He's with the Son. He's with the Holy Spirit for all eternity. It's a happy ending to what in many ways is a a difficult story. And today as we come to the communion table, as we picture, as we remember, not Stephen's death, but the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whether you're 18 or 81, I would ask you to consider this question. Are you prepared to be ushered into eternity? You know, we prepare for a lot of things, at least those of us that prepare do. Many people have prepared for maybe a possible terrorist attack, or, or in Southern California, are you prepared for this major earthquake? You know, and those things may happen, and they may not. But one thing is for sure, Barring a miracle from God, we will die. We're going to die. It's truth. Are you ready for what's next? Are you ready to face eternity? Have you given your life, like Stephen, to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in His sacrificial death alone as payment for your sins? Are you trusting in His resurrection power the defeated death? Are you following the living Christ? Are you living for Christ? Are you submitting to the Holy Spirit in your life? If the answer to these questions is yes, then praise the Lord. You, like Stephen, are ready at any moment to be ushered into eternity. But if your answer is no, then you need to know two things. It's good news, bad news time. First, the bad news. We need to hear it. The Bible teaches that those who don't trust in Jesus Christ will, upon death, enter into a much different reality than Stephen saw when heaven opened before him. Jesus will not be ushering them into a glorious glorious eternity. Instead, Jesus taught they will be ushered not into heaven, but hell. A place of torment, of fire, of weeping, of grinding of teeth. Now, that's the bad news. It's the worst news. But the good news is that that doesn't have to happen. The good news is that today, now, you can give your life to Christ. You can receive Him as your Lord and Savior. You can allow His sacrificial death to pay for your sins. And He will enter into your life. He will transform not just, it's not just about eternity. Eternity, when you accept Christ, eternity begins that day. He will begin working in your life that day, preparing you for eternity in amazing ways. And upon your death, He'll be there. He'll be there to usher you into His glorious kingdom. So if there are those here today who, who want to understand more about what it means to give your life, to trust in, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to prepare for eternity, we at Bridges would love to help you do that. To answer any questions, to talk to you, please don't hesitate to come talk to me or one of our other church leaders after the service. We'd love to help you learn about and even begin a relationship with God, a relationship that will last for all eternity. 
So let me close in prayer as, as John, John Byers is going to come and lead us in communion. Father God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for how you demonstrated that love to Stephen and prepared him and opened and let him see your face before you, before he had to face death. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for each person here that we would be prepared for that inevitable uh, thing called death. The death, the thing that you've defeated, Lord, that we would be prepared by giving our, our lives to you. Lord, that we would be prepared by submitting to your spirit, Lord, that we would live for you, that we might enter into all eternity with you. In Christ's name, amen.